You're listening to Bits and Pieces on Sunrise Robot. I'm one of your hosts, Mike Edwards, out of Denver, Colorado. And I'm your other host, Matt Duncan, out of Gelsenkirchen, Germany. And we thrive on the support of our listeners, so please check out sunriserobot.net slash support and see some ways you can help us out. So here we are with episode 10, uh, the big two-digit. We finally crossed that initial yeah. finish line of, hey, we're doing this for real. We're not just going to you know, give up after a month. Um, <laughs> so that feels good to get to double digits. And to celebrate, we've got some ridiculous music industry headlines to talk about. So what's this first one? You have to read this. Yeah, yeah. The music industry is getting pretty creative in, in recent days to to make news. So I'm, I'm just going to read the title of this. Okay, so Kid Rock subpoenaed to produce Glass Dildo as evidence in Insane Clown Posse lawsuit. <laughs> is that a sentence you ever thought you would say out loud no, in your life? No, no. It, it's like the one, and I'm going to find that about the... Uh, the uh, the Android update with Lollipop and 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 <laughs> Nexus phones and yeah, but okay, so, so this I mean, is the, real. Yeah, yeah, this is real, and and the title pretty much actually describes what, what it doesn't subscribe as uh, describe the circumstances, but yes, actually, Kid Rock has to has to yeah produce evidence that he is in possession of a glass dildo. Okay, I have to say. Uh, <laughs> I just opened the article for the first time right now as we're recording. And uh, the picture of Kid Rock here, um, <laughs> yeah. he looks like a retired like baseball pitcher. Like I've never <laughs> seen him like in like a, a jacket without some bucket hat of some sort yeah. on his head. And, you know, like if he has long hair here, I can't see it because it's tied up in the back or something. Yeah. Or maybe he doesn't have his hair grown out. But like I've never seen him like this, like where he's like, oh, it's just some white dude with like a, you know, some facial hair. Yeah. So sorry to hijack to just comment on that picture, but it just <laughs> it happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, what I was about to say is that he it's it's not about any glass dildo. No, it's it's about a special glass dildo that uh, that some somebody of the insane clown posse was trying to give that to somebody, and when that person refused to accept it, they gave it to Kid Rock. And now there are some claims going on, and and basically this glass dildo is evidence in this case. And <laughs> yeah, Kid Rock has to come forward and give it to the public, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so is the lesson never accept a glass dildo from a stranger or from a, a friend or even from a friend? Well, I sure am not going to do that. <laughs> Because you might be called to bring it out in public. Yeah, yeah. Ne never accept anything that you wouldn't want to produce in front of a court. <laughs> uh, that's oh, ridiculous. God. So what's the other news? Well, the other news is a little more <laughs> generally worth conversation. Um, and that is, um, if you didn't think that, you know, RDO and, and Spotify and uh, Rhapsody, I guess I'll name for some reason, and some of these other services... Uh, for streaming music, you know, you pay eight or ten bucks a month or something, and then you, you get to play all the music in the world. Um, Jay Z decided there needs to be another one. Yep. And uh, I know you've got a lot to say about this, but I'll just sort of describe what this is real quick. <laughs> um, so, what he's unveiled, you know, he had an army of other prominent artists on stage with him, you know, all locking arms and raising their hands and being excited together. Um, and they're calling it Tidal. And their selling point is number one that it's curated or, or you know it's made up and owned by artists, not executives, not just 
industry people, not just tech people, but artists run this. And then the other selling point, you know, that's some kind of like political capital, I guess, with listeners. And the other side is that they're, they're going to offer lossless streaming, which I know has, has never been a topic on our show of, of whether that's <laughs> valuable or not. Um, so, you know, you can spend, so the normal price is 10. I think if you spend 20 bucks a month, you yep. can stream lossless. And we can, we can get to that in, in a moment. So, so what are your beefs? What, what's your axe to grind here? <laughs> um, yeah. So generally, I mean, more competition is always good in any case. So, um, it's not that I have anything against having another streaming service as long as they are, as long as whatever I want to hear is at the, uh, on, on the streaming service that I'm using right now, I might switch whenever I feel necessary, feel it to be necessary. But yeah, my whole, my whole beef with this thing is the way they're presenting themselves and trying to sell this, this thing. And yeah, to quote from the article, um, I, I don't know if that was Jay-Z saying it or another exec- executive or an, an, uh, somebody else, but uh, they said, yeah, it could grow as music lovers take a liking to higher resolution music. And <sighs> yeah, so they're basically saying, oh, this, this, this portal is so great. It's going to grow because people want to have high quality music, high Just, quality yeah. in, in the sense of, yeah, streaming in either great mp3 or flag but yeah let's be honest um so the people who who know about flag are probably also the people who are still torrenting stuff yeah and um apart from the fact that it's mostly for archiving things it's just a a smaller version of of uh, AVE or wave it's it's just you, you don't um, usually use it to listen to music. I mean, we found that out. In I mean, I know two. people that that swear by it, and they're they're part of that camp that thinks that still thinks there is a a reason for listening to lossless audio. Um, and you know, just to summarize, if you didn't listen to our old episode, which you should go back to, it might have been three. I can't remember two. exactly. It was two. two. Okay, where we did a deeper dive that you know there are some production reasons to to go higher bit rate, higher sample rate, but listening. Um, no, it's 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 sort of a phantom, and people think they hear things and they're not because they're wrong. Um, <laughs> um, I don't want to completely discount this. No, it, it's it's bullshit that lossless is better, like objectively, but they may have a marketing edge claiming it. You know, maybe yeah. it'll be they'll be able to convince people to pay for it, or even if they don't pay for the premium, they'll just think that somehow title has a quality edge on streaming, yeah. just some perception of it. And I mean, I wonder if Apple's going to pull the same trick and say, we've got lossless streaming too. And, you know, the, here's our snake oil. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's interesting. And and yeah. what do you make of their, their whole pitch on, on being an artist streaming service? I don't know. Um, I mean, it, it comes, the, the thing is that um, the artists that are named in this article are, I mean, most of them I don't particularly follow. It's not that I find them to be bad or anything or I don't like them, but um, y- you have to be fans of them to be able to say, oh, great. So, um, I don't know. Beyonce just made a playlist on there. I got to listen to, to Beyonce's playlist and, and Usher and Coldplay also did a playlist on there. And, and this whole thing of curated playlists, um, we, we already have that on Spotify. I mean, they're, they're user yeah. curated playlists that are really great. They're artists curated playlists. You can find them everywhere. I mean, the, the thing is that 
There's we nothing have one. there. Hint, yeah, hint. we have one. You can listen to that on Spotify. No, but um, th there's nothing really that they. Yeah, other than the flag thing, there's nothing really new. Other than that, it's more expensive. And yeah, it's an another thing. There is that they are uh, claiming that there's going to be some windowing going on. So that means when some artists release new music, it's first going to be on their streaming service, and then after some time, you can probably find it on Spotify. Yeah. And so um, that kind of stuff is is going to be a popularity contest because if they don't gain yeah. traction with listeners. I don't think artists are going to keep giving them windows like that. I mean, that's something iTunes is actually starting to do because like when Beyonce dropped her new album out of nowhere, just like suddenly, boom, I've got an album. Um, iTunes first, like the only place you could buy it. And then like yeah. they kind of, kind of like Netflix not getting movies for a while. Like they, they try to like, Hey, you want to buy this? I know it'll be free later, but you want to <laughs> buy it? And yeah. I mean, the piraters are still going to pirate. They're going to torrent that stuff immediately, but I, I mean, I do think the general population can't be bothered to do that. And um, no, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, my my inclination is to say you're going to get crushed. And yeah. this will be an interesting side story and chapter. But um, prove me wrong. I'd, I'd love to yeah. see another strong competitor in the market. Um, though I don't really care for the snake oil or the high price. Yeah. But... Um, we'll see. I mean, so you have this quote here in the notes. A title will come from an artist's perspective, Spotify from the tech perspective, and Apple from their perspective. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> that, that means nothing. <laughs> Is Apple a non-technical perspective? Yeah. What makes Spotify and, and, a tech perspective? Yeah, when I when I'm on Spotify, I don't think about the tech. I listen to the music. I want the tech to go out of the way so I can listen to music quickly. <laughs> yeah, that's that's all that's there for. So. so I'm not sure what he means. I mean, he and then he closed that statement with "You're going to see a lot of interesting stuff." So I guess he didn't really have anything to say. As far yeah, as, it's like a um, beauty pageant contest <laughs> argument. Yeah. I think that was only to to continue to position them as identified with artists. Um, yeah. But he didn't really offer a compelling reason why the other ones aren't aligned yep, with artists. Not really. And also, I think that it's it's only going to take like three or four months until Spotify is going to say we have another higher premium tier where you can get some lossless streaming, uh, and then it's going to be over because everybody's on Spotify already. Hey, if if that works and it pushes the non-lossless down cheaper, I'm all for it. Like trick people yeah, yeah. into paying, you know, make your ten dollar a month lossless and give me a five dollar ad free normal. I'm up for that. Like people can believe the wrong thing if it means things are cheaper <laughs> for me. Yeah. Um, so there's that. There's yeah. title. Um, so we actually have a a big topic for for this episode. You want to introduce this to us? Yeah, so um a few episodes back I yeah, I generally I, I got this inspiration from listening to one of the other shows on our network on Sunrise Robot, uh a show called The Pseudo Show, where you actually interviewed a person who built himself a boat piano and yes. from that I I had the idea of having a themed episode about alternative and experimental instruments and whatever that may mean, we can find out this this episode. So um I was thinking that we're going to start with some yeah rather traditional things that are that are more in the realm of of analog gear and analog in the sense that things that don't even use um yeah electricity maybe or just to 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 do something physically and not something with circuits or anything. Right. 
So, um, yeah, the first thing that came to mind was, um, uh, when I saw some live videos of Sigur Ross where, um, John C was actually playing his guitar or sometimes I think it was even his bass guitar with a, with a bow, with an actual violin bow. And he, he got some great like synth pad sounds. I, yeah. don't, I mean, there, there's gotta be a, a minefield of, of guitar pedals in front of him. But yeah, at the source of it, there was a violin bow on a guitar and, yeah, of course. Without the second I saw that, I I grabbed the violin bow that was lying around and tried to do the same thing. And turns out it's not that easy. No, I mean there's some challenges just with the the way most guitars are, are stringed too, because it's very flat and violin. Yeah, and there's no arc. Yeah, there's no arc to the string, so it, it's sort of an all or nothing unless you're just bowing the end string. Yeah. Um, so there's that challenge right up front, and maybe you have a, a chord shape you want to bow anyway, or you you're just muting yeah. everything else and it works out, but. Um, that would be the first challenge in mind. But yeah, I've, I've seen a little bit of this in some bands. Um, it's, it's a relatively accessible alteration to make because you just, you just go grab a bow and you're done, put it mm-hmm. to your guitar and see what happens. And yeah. I mean, the most, most of the time when I've seen it, it sounded very much like this Sigur Ross example where, where there's clearly some effect pedals in place that, you know, reverb the hell out of the guitar. And so it kind of frees you from how, mundane it can sound when you just bow a guitar cleanly <laughs> yeah and i remember that also uh benny who we had on last time once brought a bow to the rehearsal space because he also saw that video and then so- thought yeah maybe i can try doing that and <laughs> he also had some problems with that so uh to remedy that if you if you're into those uh sustained uh guitar sounds with 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 a very slow attack um i can't find it right now it's somewhere here um, there is something called an ebo, and an ebo is, um, yeah, pretty much an electric bow. It's just a little plastic thingy. Oh, wait, it's right in front of me. The <laughs> listeners won't be able to see it. So, um, you, it, it, it's, you can hold it in your hand and, and put it on the guitar string, and it only works on one string at a time, and it has those little ridges, so you, you have like guidance on, on where you can put it. And then you can switch it on, and it produces a magnetic field. That actually starts to to yeah um, make make your strings resonate, and you can get some pretty crazy sounds out of that. And that are that sounds really synthy. And and there there are two switch positions where the the second position actually introduces even more harmonics. So yeah, it's it's mostly like switching up an octave even higher. And and I've used that in some songs, but I haven't quite used it in many songs. To uh, well. I mean, it's it's a plastic thing with a battery in it that produces a little bit of of magnetic waves. So um, mm-hmm. I think the price point was eighty eighty pounds, British pounds. Yeah, I I haven't I haven't recouped that money yet, <laughs> based on the songs I've used it in. But it's a fun toy to play with. I gotta say, absolutely. Um, which brings us to the the pseudo show reference you you brought up. Um, where I got to had the privilege of interviewing a, a, a traveling artist who was taking residency in Denver for a month um, with a, a, a little uh, community arts house. Um, Colby Wilson uh, build, built his own bowed piano, and uh, I didn't, I, you know, I'm kicking myself, I didn't record any samples of what his sounded like or else I could play it on the show. Um, but there are some, there is stuff on YouTube of other people doing this, and it actually started in the 70s with... Uh, a composer who would actually get an army of like eight to ten people standing around the piano with fishing line, and they would they would pull the fishing line across the strings and 
and you know he had some other people like um banging a hammer or dropping things onto the strings for different sounds in addition to the bowing and bowed pianos are weird they're very, you know they sound very synthy to me too um just the and uh Coles in particular he played it a little for me and let me play it a little bit and his you know go go listen to the pseudo show but just to describe how it works briefly um he he basically takes out the hammers that are in a piano and he he has this uh so when you press the piano key instead of the hammer dropping um it pushes and connects and completes a circuit specific to that key that then extends this little toy wheel that's been covered in rosin and it spins that wheel against the piano string when you press the key and then you get this and since he hadn't perfected it yet it was kind of every key had its own attack and decay and had its own little you know the there'd be a deformity in the wheel so it would bow a little harder software softer at different points in the wheel and so you had this sort of tremolo this little um that's how his uh his bow piano worked and uh I don't know how practical it'd be and maybe maybe there's some more innovation to do here. Um, that's just a classic, like really interesting DIY project that it was just fascinating to hear about. And I, I wonder if anyone will operationalize that as, as part of a part of an act at, at any point. Yeah. Um, the, the, the functionality of that just reminded me of, I think it was called the Mellotron, which was more or less the first sampler or sample based keyboard it actually had reels of tape hanging down from the back and when you push the string it was yeah pulling the, the tape through through a, a playback head and it was like more or less a uh yeah i don't know a a 60 key tape record playback machine and and i've i've got a syn i've got a synthesizer on on somewhere on my computer that that emulates that sound and it has this um, uh, very grainy sound because after use, of course, the tape would de uh, de deteriorate and you would get more and more noise in there, which actually adds to the sound. And yeah, depending on if you'd like noise or not, of course. Yeah. Yeah. The next project, uh, that, that this remind me also very much DIY is, um, the, the group or the duo Buke and Gaze. And Buke and Gaze is pretty much the, the instruments they have, they've invented more the, themselves. So they, they build all their instruments themselves. And if you follow them on Facebook, like every two weeks, the, the, the guy from the duo posts a new, uh, project that he's working on, a new design, something new he's experimenting with, with pickups. And what it is, is they, um, have a guitar bass hybrid, which is the gaze and a baritone ukulele, which is the bugue. And while the, while the buke, the, the baritone ukulele, yeah, it's pretty much a ukulele that's a little deeper, more or less. So there, there isn't that much special, uh, specialty to it, <laughs> but the, uh, the guitar bass hybrid is pretty interesting. So if I remember correctly, it's the, the way he strings this guitar is, um, so the lowest string, the lowest E string usually, he uses a bass string for that. Then the, uh, the, the next one is a guitar string and then a bass string again. And then the rest, uh, the, the the rest of the strings are guitar strings again. So he has like uh, two strings of bass to work with, and they they are they intertwined. And I think on some of his some of his guitars, he actually separated the pickups, so some of them only pick up the, the bass strings and all. And um, yeah, it it reminded me of the Little Thunder, which we talked about last yeah. time, because he he pretty much has a Little Thunder in his guitar built in uh, in real life, so to say. <laughs> And I, I think what's in, I'm looking at this tiny desk concert you have linked here, and 
Um, just the kind of the you can see between these two instruments, you probably cover a nice wide range of frequencies. Yeah. And with two people, you can get a very full sound kind of hitting all the major frequency areas. And uh, yeah, definitely a nice example of some DIY um, instruments. Yeah. Um, I did a little aside just yeah, on this whole topic. I feel like it, you just you have to bring up craft work if you're going to talk about building your own instruments just because um i mean it's it's a well-known thing we don't have to talk about deeply but even just uh the little machines they they were basically inventing electronic instrumentation um and a lot of their sounds are very trivial to produce now (laughs) um but uh that's always fascinated me just watching their old videos and seeing the weird crap they pulled together when there there wasn't an industry producing these things that made it easy it was like no they had to wire these things themselves yeah um so what's the yaoi yeah yaoi so um i'm i'm kind of stretching the rules here a little bit because yaoi from from the instrumentation it's a it's a rock band so we've got a drummer and we've got two guitarists but um yeah what they're doing with those guitars Although they haven't really modded them in any way, I just know that they have a very particular tuning that's pretty low. So they, uh, I, I've read, I think I've read an interview where somebody described how when they are bending the guitar strings, they can bend them along half of the fretboard because they are so loose. And you can hear that in their sound, how loose their <laughs> guitars are. And yeah, the, I, I would describe their genre as microtonal math rock. So I, I had to put something microtonal in, in, <laughs> in this episode. And yeah, the first time you hear them, you're going to say that, that's, that sounds like somebody is just improvising some, some random stuff. And I got reminded of, uh, when I learned about free jazz in school. Yeah. And yeah, but turns out they, the, the songs actually have structure. And when they play them back, they're playing them back the same way each and every time. So there's like a thousand, a, a thousand uh, little melodies in each and every song. And that's, yeah, mind boggling that people can mm-hmm. actually remember that stuff. <laughs> but yeah, so the instrumentation, it's just, just every, every note that you wouldn't think would fit in there. It's just, all of that it's a whole mess with regular guitars so yeah they're kind of I, I would say it's it's a kind of abusing your instruments but yeah somebody's got to do that mm-hmm. okay so next up we are we are now moving more or less into the realm of um yeah something more circuitry and <laughs> electronic and i think the uh the step towards that is the ondas martinot i hope i pronounce it correctly <laughs> Um, which I, I guess I discovered through, through Radiohead because Radiohead actually used that. And, um, so it, it basically looks like a, an organ and it functions more or less like an organ, but there's a little special thing about it. So in, in the front, uh, in front of the keys on this organ, there is a little ring attached to, to strings that run from left to right along the keyboard. And what you're going to do when you play this is you put your, your finger through that ring and, um, yeah, touch the surface beneath that, and when you move the, the the finger around, it's like you're playing the 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 keys, but there is, yeah, it's a continuous strip of of pitch, so you can slide up and down. Which, unless you you have a synthesizer with portamento built in it, you can't really do with the piano because, yeah, you got keys and there are separated pitches, but um, what what I really liked about this is that something that I m- 
probably always do when I play the keyboard is that when I hold a, uh, a key down, it's like when you're playing the guitar, you want to introduce a vibrato and then I start like uh, juggling about with my finger on the keyboard until I realize, yeah, that's it's, it's doing nothing. <laughs> so I, I always wanted to have a keyboard that's got like built-in vibrato recognition yeah. <laughs> through the keys. And that's basically what this is able to reproduce. So you can really do a vibrato with your finger on the keyboard or uh, like next to the keyboard, so mm -hmm. to say. Yeah, and so is a theremin also part of this video? The theremin would be a comparison to that. So gotcha. you can pra practically, um, in a way, make it reproduce sounds like it was a theremin, although the way you play it yeah. is completely different, of course. Yeah, um, theremin's always seemed like out of science fiction and, and actually has a long history of early science fiction soundtracks using theremins just because they sound so otherworldly. Um, it's just so dramatically... Uh, wispy the way that sci-fi soundtracks wanted to be and and some manufacturers actually are producing uh theremins e even today so i at the last num show somebody was was uh showing a a new theremin that was yeah it it, all, it had all the sound uh capabilities of modern synthesizers but the way you operated it was was that of a theremin so um For most people, that would be a toy, but I know there are some professional theremin players that can get some really great things out of that, so maybe it's something for them. Mm -hmm. And we also have uh, sound chips, so some classic yeah. sound chips that people lust after. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we um, I, I picked for for this episode as examples the the uh, Commodore 64 sound chip, the, the SID sound chip, or SID, depending on uh, if you like like acronyms and like <laughs> you just like spelling those. things <laughs> yeah and um i mean I've, i've seen people producing music with with game boys i remember vividly when i at two or two years ago at gamescom when we went out there was somebody playing with a, a bunch of game boys on the street he had them hooked up together like five of them and had a, a little speaker next to him and he was producing some 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 yeah electronic music on the fly which was pretty much uh, perfect for the scenery there at gamescom but um yeah for this one we've we've got the commodore 64 sound chip and i actually know two bands that are using that um, one of them is Machine Supremacy, and they uh, describe themselves as Sid Metal. And it's um, just, I mean, you, there are a lot of metal bands that have keyboard players in them, but with that sound chip, I, I gotta say, they actually really produce a particular sound that you can recognize anytime. So, um, I, I, I've, you can usually say it's Machine Supremacy from the first time you hear the keyboard <laughs> in a song, you know it's them. And which, On one hand, could have to do with uh, the limitations of the sound chip, or on the other hand, it's, I mean, they've got a style, they're not really deviating from that. Yeah. And, and yeah, and the other one is, yeah. Oh, sorry, continue. No, no, you go ahead. I was just going to bring up some other sound chip uh, related uh, tinkerings. And one of the ones that I brought up on one of the Some Pulp episodes in the Beach Boys episode was uh, a Toledo artist who, he, he was in the band Style X. Um, which was kind of a Devo, a modern Devo kind of band. Um, but um, he had a solo project and he, he recreated pet sounds um, using um, 
Game Boy, like the Game Boy chip set. And so he, he reproduced all the instruments through an actual hardware Game Boy sound chip. And it wasn't just an emulation or an approximation. And, um, there, there's kind of a fetishization. I can't even say that word. Fetishization. Fetishization. Of, um, especially early computer music hardware. And, and there's just nostalgia up the wazoo for, for some of those crunchy, simple sounds and, um, the square waves and the triangles and all that nonsense. And, uh, um, we see that, I mean, that's reflected today in chip tunes, but also, I mean, the actual hardware is lost it after. And we see that in, in play with some artists. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I know that machine supremacy is, so they actually have the, they have the thing, they have a hardware synthesizer that he's playing with a keyboard. So the actual sound chip, not just an emulation. And and yeah, it it basically I, I guess it has to do mostly with nostalgia. I mean, if you go go that way back to to the Commodore sixty four to have that sound, uh, that nostalgia has to have a big role in that decision. And I, I think proof of that is also the the other band that I know that uses this is Welle Erdball, a German electro gothic band. And um, if I'm 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 going to link that in the show notes, just that song and. Also there, you can hear, yeah, it's a Commodore 64. It sounds really retro and analog. And, um, their whole shtick is those, those nostalgia things, those, uh, yeah, almost military looking things. And, and they, they, they've, they've got that old German look to them and, uh, celebrating those, those like 60, 70 sci-fi, uh, almost, um, almost steampunkish. Yeah. yeah things. Um, I'm also just remembering like some of the, the modem sounds that show up all the time in, in some music and the no twist is definitely used this on there. Yeah. Um, I think it's chemicals. That song has a, a little modem-y, um, melodic solo that, that sprays the little crushed noise sounds of a modem. And, uh, and I, I saw them live when they came through to Chicago, went back when I lived in the Midwest and, you know, they're using Wiimotes, um, you know, to control the, some of their synths and they're, they're, they're using different kinds of weird controllers. Um, another podcast to check out probably by the time it's released will be my interview with Robert DeLong, who, who does lots of stuff with joysticks and, and classic controllers and, um, analog synths in addition to a, a full drum set that uh, I assume he has wired up to be triggering other things. It, it's kind of an, an insane. Um, amazing. Um, we could do a whole episode about his setup if I knew more about it, <laughs> but he should tell us. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, he, he could get a, uh, you can get another interview out of him, uh, this podcast and we can delve into the techie side of it. That would, that would be amazing. Um, yeah. and then your, your pick of the week last week, uh, was holy fuck, holy fuck, holy fuck, holy fuck. I was just about to say, I, w- I was only going to name them once so we can stay PG 13, but yeah. Now it's over. Who were you gonna name? <laughs> um, that band with the holy <laughs> F. <laughs> um, and and they do some interesting stuff with their their keyboards. Yeah. So first things first, they they are using toy keyboards, so they're not using like some MIDI controllers or uh, like hardware synthesizers. No, they are using toy keyboards, and not only toy keyboards, but like really just toys. I mean, we know that. People like to use the speak and spell for, for music and, and, uh, synthesize sounds of that. But yeah, I, I, they, they have in their arsenal a toy that's also like a speak and spell, but looks even more for, for, for small children. And, um, 
it's it's this large tablet with all those letters on there and uh, I, I know that I've got a song and while we're at it it's called Shit Mountain and um, <laughs> holy fuck Shit Mountain and and throughout the song in in the background you always have this this robotic female voice saying H O L Y F U C K and so live <laughs> he's actually punching those letters in and uh, it's not arranged like a keyboard so um, you have to always look like hey there's the F there's the U and uh sometimes he misspells it i think even on the recording <laughs> but yeah that's that's their rawness and uh yeah a lot of toy stuff on there and and yeah as i described last time using feedback loops through mixes to create some noise deliberately and um yeah and and, and just now i i reminded there's another german band called trio i don't know if you know their song da 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 because i know that they've translated that to english sometime um, and the, the whole thing about that song is that it has a backbeat produced from the metronome of a small, little small one octave keyboard at the time. Um, yeah, that's the whole shtick. So there was a, it was like number one song for maybe a whole year yeah. here in Germany. And it, it, it had the, the, yeah, it was mo, I think it was almost as popular as this model from Kraftwerk. And uh, I, I'm going to link that also in the show notes. So this little toy keyboard that made the whole song. Mm-hmm. And it seems like there's there's also this trend we'll get into with the next few examples of uh, artists that end up on TED Talks or various like presenter stages um, talking through even more deeply programmatic combinations of tech and music. And um, you've got Tim Exile here and... Uh, you know, just describing how he's programming live electronic music and all of this stuff is super fascinating. And um, every time I see one of these, my mind kind of gets blown by, <laughs> by what's possible. Yeah, yeah. Tim Exile actually, um, yeah, while, while other people build their guitars, their hardware things, he's programming his own software and, and synthesizers and and effect loops to to actually more or less improvise everything on the fly and uh, he made this website where he could send in so- uh, samples in real time and watch his live stream of him getting those samples on his lounge pad and introducing them into the song he's he's making right now and it can get quite chaotic but like in a, in a two-hour stream you usually get like a, a a some numbers of of pieces out of that yet you could say yeah that's 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 a song. That's something that somebody could have produced in a studio, maybe. Although, yeah, quite chaotic and maybe a bit repetitive because it takes some time when you introduce a new sample to put it in everywhere. But yeah. he, he got quite, he got quite quick with it. But I, I mean, I'm just completely thrilled that this future is being paved for live, real-time internet collaboration on music. Like that's yeah. that's a threshold we haven't at least not in any mainstream way, crossed. is is I mean, the latency is too painful and some other things. And obviously his approach where you get samples and you work them in over time is is conducive to today's latency. But the day that me and you, you know, from thousands of miles away can play a song in real time will be pretty amazing. And yeah. um, I'm looking forward to that. And so you also have this, this other link here, the concert programmer, um, which... Yeah. If it's what I'm thinking of, it was also quite amazing. Yeah, yeah, and and this is a a, a whole different animal than than what uh, Tim Exile was doing because he's using actual source code to generate patterns and songs, and uh, it's sort of like it must it has to be an interpreted language because he's editing the source as the music is playing. And um, even if you're not a programmer, you got to watch this video because 
Um, you know, he's programming. He's got a he's got a method defined for what the left hand is doing, and then he defines the you know the right hand, and um, you know the beat comes in the bass, and he kind of builds this little symphony, and then he starts pulling out each piece one at a time, literally by removing the code from the source, and um, yeah, just the first time I saw this, I was like, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, that's something that that really interests me, and I I once thought about. Um, if if I wasn't if I wasn't wasn't studying uh, computer science uh, for education, I would probably do something like that as as a bachelor or master thesis about uh, programming music because I always found it interesting that um, when you when you're making music and we talked about this that there's also there there are always, always those patterns in your mind that you can't really get rid of and you should embrace them then. Maybe it would be it would be quite cool to to program a music generating machine. And the thing is that Tim Exile actually did that, and I, I can find this also on SoundCloud somewhere and put it in the show notes, where he um he he had those synthesizers that he made himself and all those effects he made himself, and then he programmed a way to to I think he called it farm melodies and harmonies. So it was generating melodies and and. Like learning what sounds good, wasn't what wouldn't sound good, and he posted like one or two songs that were completely generated by a computer, and they sound pretty amazing. Um, if if you think about that, there wasn't really any control in the process other than when he wrote the code to produce them. Yeah, he's, and, he was the um, preset of the computer, but right, right. And I, I always thought that it would be cool to to have something that really would create a good song from scratch. Yeah, that'll be a. I mean, we've. He's demonstrated a version of that, but when that yeah, yeah is completely like, could a computer invent a new genre and uh, yeah, um, or some of these these amazing things that are that are going to happen? I, I saw an article the other day that it listed. It was a quiz, of course, but it wasn't on BuzzFeed. But it, it was an actual <laughs> quiz, and it was a list of you know ten or fifteen s- sentences or paragraphs. And the task of this was if you could tell whether a computer wrote this content or a human wrote it. And some of it was poetry. And it was kind of mind-boggling how hard it was to tell, which was generated information and which was written by a human. Um, it was not obvious in the least. And um, I think we're, we're almost at the state where, um, yeah, could you automate the news, to you know, where a computer could, you know, maybe there'd still be human elements generating tweets and bits of information and sharing them into a system and the computer can assemble and yeah there's always going to be the humanist concern which I'm not poo-pooing right now of like (laughs) how does the computer understand the context and importance of different facts I don't know that's a big problem but at least in terms of assembling meaningful like um, inclusions of different sources of information into human-like languages there's I think there's kind of a rude awakening coming to society of like, yeah, computers are getting really good at this and you have no idea how much they can do. And um, these examples are showing it from the music side of how computers are going to be able to generate music. And I mean, I could imagine that you're a business and you know what? I'm not going to license songs from human artists. I'm just going to buy this algorithm that someone sells me and it's going to generate nice music for my business, for my elevator, for whatever. <laughs> and why would I bother? Like it'll constantly innovate new music, and I never have to worry about it getting old because it'll write new songs. <laughs> All right, 
So that's it for the themed part of this episode. But of course, we always have this one recurring segment, which is called Pick of the Week. Okay. Um, I think I'm going to start this time. Okay. So my pick of the week this week is uh, Thomas Barrenden. I don't know if I pronounce his name correctly because he's French. Maybe the Barrenden is completely off the charts right now. I but, choose to believe it's Barrenden. Okay. <laughs> And the song is called Forever Young, A Lie. And it's a song that would fit right into the latest Hotline Miami 2. And I actually discovered it through Spotify, through a playlist that was named Hotline Miami 2. Although not all the songs in there were actually from the game, but they fit really well together. And so I was I was driving somewhere and the song came up and about one or one and a half minutes in, I, I thought, okay, I got to put this into my start. I'm, I got to save this now. I got to know what this song is called. Otherwise, I'm probably not going to find it again. Yeah. So I actually pulled over and, 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 and put it in my, my start list. And then I, then I went on and it's, it's a pretty long song and it's, it just, it just develops and it, it builds up even more and more and more. And it's just a, a, right yeah, up I mean, the, the, the word, yeah, the the word epic is so overused <laughs> in today's internet. Uh, it's epically side. overused. But honestly, I would describe this song as epic in a way, the way it builds up and the 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 whole progression in there. And it's going to be hard for me to um yeah to pick out a twenty second sample, but whatever I'm gonna choose, it's going to play right here. So yeah, I, I checked out the song right before we started recording, uh, and uh, as you said, you you might have some trouble picking a, a, a representative twenty or thirty second sample from it. And you know, just as I got through it and enjoyed each you know movement of the song for its own sake, um, right at the end when the the, the rhythm section gets all trebly and then it starts to kind of wind down, uh, I was like, oh, I really like that. And it's like, ah, you can't really pick that as your sample of the song, but <laughs> I like that a lot about the song. And I mean, sometimes that's a good problem to have is like, I have so many good parts. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. Um, I, it totally makes sense why this song would end up on a Hotline Miami uh, playlist, even if it wasn't in the game. Um, it, it fits right in with, with the other music I've heard from that game. Um, even if it's a little mellower uh, throughout most of it. Um, I don't know. Maybe there's more mellow parts to the soundtrack. Um, uh, it also, um, and I told you this before the show, reminded me a little bit of. Uh, some of the soundtrack to the horror film Beyond the Black Rainbow, um, which, I mean, I, it's not, it's a passing similarity. It's not like a deep connection, but it just made me think of that movie for some reason and it made me want to go watch the trailer. And, um, yeah, uh, very moody, very, very nice build. And, you know, you get a nice two minutes of this little, um, uh, moody progression and then the drums come in and you're like, yes. <laughs> so. Very, very nice pick. So, so I should suggest if you're listening to this episode in your car while you're driving, you should pull over before listening to the song because... <laughs> Take a seat. I, I, had to, I had to do it, yeah. Um, yep. 
uh, my pick of the week uh, was a, a more straight-ahead rock and roll song from uh, Trust Fund, and they're out of the UK, and uh, um, the song's called Cut Me Out, and uh, I think I appreciated just uh, how much fun this song was. Um, it's, it's very much, it uh, reminds me of a lot of stuff in the 90s um, of just sort of straight-ahead bombastic. Um, you'll hear some Weezer in some of the parts, and it'll make you think of Weezer for sure. Um, though their vocal styling is very weirdly different. They're kind of, uh, they sound very shy, and they layer themselves in this weird high register and kind of sing dissonantly together sometimes. Um, but I think I was just, um, my my oldest brother Matt turned me on to them and, and just kind of said, check this out. And um it was just a good, straight-ahead, sort of catchy song. And I just thought, you know, we were doing some of these high-minded, like, deep production technique picks of the week. And, you know, sometimes you just want to pick just a nice song that caught your ear. So let's hear a little bit of Trust Fund's Cut Me Out. What did you make of this song? Um, I love the song. I I think I, I love the way it it sounds so raw and it has this this saturation distortion on it. Uh, it right it reminded me of some other bands that also like deliberately yeah try to sound lo-fi in that regard in the production in the production uh, part of of the song. And the part that I mostly liked in this song is somewhere in the middle where. Um, it all goes down a bit and you've got the drums, you've got the bass playing and the, the guitars are playing some palm muted little melodies or just single notes. And the way that everything is so muted and percussive and it, it has this, this, this nice rhythm that, that's just currently throughout all mm-hmm. instruments uh, until it starts rising up again when the guitars start playing some, some, some sustained notes again and then it builds up again to the chorus. So mm-hmm. I really like that part in the middle. And uh, if 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 it's the same part I'm thinking of, the the lyrics to the song are very silly and very funny, and they have this weird like funny confessional feel to most of the words. And um, there's a series of apologies that get more and more ridiculous um, as the song goes on. Sorry if I, sorry if I, and um, I won't spoil it, but just just pay attention to them and maybe have a little chuckle, um, a little heh, um, the, the <laughs> lizard going heh, <laughs> <laughs> or the duck going heh. <laughs> Yep. Let's have them both on the show now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's it um, on the pick of the week. <laughs> and that's also it for our episode. So thank you so much for listening. Um, check out our show notes um, for tons of videos, tons of links um, at sunriserobot.net slash bits and pieces slash 10. And I said the right number this time. Um, just a little Easter egg. If you want to go back to episode nine, you'll you'll be able to notice that a, a different audio track has been subbed in for the link. Um, we love feedback, so tweet with us. We're on Twitter all the time. We reply to people very regularly. If you got something to say, please hit us up. I'm on Twitter at Medwards Music, and Matt, you're at Echo Locks, E C H O L O X, and I, I would spell mine, but it just would take too long. Um, as always, we release every single week, and if you don't want to have to remember to check our website, subscribe. Subscribing is pretty easy. Um, if you're on Android, you could use Pocket Cast. It's a great app. 
Um, and then you could you could search for uh, uh, Bits and Pieces is the name of our show. Or you could go to our website and just tap on the RSS link and it should pop you over in a pocket cast to complete the subscription. By the way, Podcast Addict is another great podcatcher app for Android. Right. I just wanted to throw that in. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then if you're on uh, an, an iDevice, if you're slave to Steve Jobs, you can use, <laughs> there's a built-in podcast app that works perfectly great. You can just tap the iTunes button from your phone on our website. Um, or if you use something else, uh, we recommend overcast.fm. And you can actually use the search function right in that app to find bits and pieces. Um, subscribing is awesome. Please do it. Um, you can also support us directly. Uh, we have a Patreon and you can head to patreon.com slash sunrise robot. And, uh, we're all on that network. We're all buddies. We're all, I mean, I'm on like half the podcast on the network and, um, your support, uh, is not only awesome just to directly keep the lights on and keep us, keep us rolling. Um, but if you, depending on the level you support us, you get your name mentioned on our shows. And so, um, a special shout out and thanks to Bruce Edwards for being one of our platinum diamond extreme magical supporters. And uh, and with that, uh, that'll do it. We'll see you next week. 